Well, welcome everyone again to our study of the Gospel of Matthew this morning. We're beginning the last chapter of the first sermon of Jesus in Matthew. The Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5, 6, and 7. And remember what the Sermon on the Mount is. It's an enumeration or an elaboration or a teaching about the character and deeds of those who are members of the kingdom of God. It is not a teaching of how to become a member of the kingdom of God. It is a teaching of what a member of the kingdom of God is to look like, what kind of character, what kinds of deeds issue forth from that character. And as such, essentially, and remember we saw this in Matthew 5, 17, when Jesus used the phrase, the law and the prophets, and I'll repeat this a couple of times during the teachings. You know how I am. I like to repeat, repeat, repeat a couple of things. I like to repeat a few things, so that's why once in a while I repeat something. But I take that from my namesake, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 11. And so, when Jesus uses the word, the law and the prophets, he is saying effectively that this sermon really is a revelation of the person and, and character of Christ himself. And so we always want to remember and never want to disassociate ourselves from Christ because who we are, we are in Christ and because of him and through him and him in us. And so it is his character, it is his deeds, it is he himself who is being declared here and is to be manifested in his people as a proof that we are members of his kingdom, being in Christ, meaning being members of the kingdom of God, citizens of God's kingdom. Father, thank you so much for your word. Father, thank you for disclosing yourself, for there's nothing we know about you other than your existence and your eternal power as we look at the creation. Father, we don't know anything else until you begin to reveal yourself in your word by the Holy Spirit. Thank you for this. Father, your word is our soul food. And Father, every day, we want to be partaking of the nourishment, of the strength, of the vitality of your food, your word, as we literally by the Spirit are partaking of Christ himself, who is being formed in us by the Spirit. Father, make this not only a continuing work, which we know you will do, but a daily increasing work. So that on that great day when we see Christ face to face, when we come to see this great man face to face, we will hear from him. You cooperated with the work of the Holy Spirit in being conformed to me. Father, thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So we remember, again, what we've done is to divide the sermon into various sections, and, and uh, we, we've talked about this before. 
And so this morning, we're going to begin to talk about how kingdom citizens are relate to one another, how we are to relate to one another. As Jesus has already enumerated the character influence of the kingdom and the precepts and the attitudes and deeds, you remember all of those. We're going to talk about how are we relating to one another, to relate to one another as members of the kingdom. So verses 1 to 6 in Matthew in chapter 7. So verses 1 and 2. Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with what measure you mate, well, I'm remembering King James. Let me read it with what I have here. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, how many of you have heard that word when you say to someone, you know, I don't think you should be doing this or that, or judge not, judge not. How many of us have heard this? How many of us have said this? You're not my judge. We are not to be judging one another. Well, in one way, that's correct. And in another way, that's incorrect. It just depends upon how the word judge is used. And so Jesus begins, interestingly, when he talks about the relationship of us among one another, how we relate to one another. Interestingly, he doesn't begin by saying love one another. And, and I don't say to say that is incorrect. But the emphasis of Jesus in this context is different. And I think the reason is, is because it's more fundamental than loving one another. And it's an issue that has to do with our acceptance and our understanding of how we have been forgiven by God and how we carry that forgiveness in us as it relates to our own character and deeds, and how we relate that forgiveness that we each have received in Christ, how we relate it, and if you would, give it forth, if you would, to others in the body of Christ. And so he says, as a community of believers, that is to reflect the community of God, the community of the church on earth, reflective of the community of God in heaven. This is who we are to be. This is who we are. We are not to judge. The word judge here is the word crino or crino, which has two meanings. It has the word meaning to analyze or evaluate, and it has the word or the meaning to cast down or to condemn or to criticize. Now, it can be used either way, and it is used both ways. And so how do we know the difference? We look at the context. We look at the context. And so when Jesus is saying, judge not that you be not judged, he is saying our relationship with one another is a result of having not been judged by God. And as a result, not inflicting on others a judgment that God does not inflict on us in Christ. Do we understand that? Do we get that? That's what he's talking about. He's talking about judgmentalism. He's talking about condemnation. He's talking about criticism. He's talking about that kind of an attitude. He's not talking about analyzation or to analyze or to evaluate or to look at something and to discern what's going on here. So he's talking about that attitude that wants to cast down the other. 
Now, I believe, I don't know how many of us have to wrestle with criticism. I have to wrestle with that in my own self. And I don't necessarily want to cast you into hell when I don't agree with you. But I do, in criticizing, want to bring a charge against you that you are not doing something correctly in relation to how I understand it should be done, or even in relation to how the Word says you should be doing it. And so if I see Henry doing something that's obviously out of the will of God as revealed in the Word of God, how am I to approach Henry? How am I to be associating with him, communicating with him? Even if he is outside the will of God, obviously so. I don't have the right to condemn him or to criticize him. Why? Because, you see, that condemnation that I feel, that criticism that I want to levy against him, is not even levied by God himself against Henry Moscow. And now you begin to see, what does that mean when I begin to do that kind of a thing? I, not so subtly, begin to elevate myself, at least minimally, to the place of God and perhaps without really knowing it and really wanting to, elevating myself even above God. Because I am saying in that criticism or in that judgment or in that casting down attitude, God, you got it wrong. I have to remember this all the time. See, this verse Jesus is speaking about, the judgments that have the intent to condemn, often taking the form of criticizing. And when I say criticizing, I'm not talking about critiquing. Critiquing is different if it is done with a heart to help and to build up and to cause a person, even yourself, to be moving forward in Christ. And so I am not even to judge myself in that way, condemn myself. You know, when I sin, I have to be very careful because I am too quick wanting to level a judgment against this old man who knows better. But I'm not to do that. Why? Because, you see, I have been forgiven. I have been declared not guilty because of someone else's work at the cross. See, only God has the right to judge. Jeremiah 17.10, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind. And there's the issue, searching the heart and testing the mind. How many of you know I will say you. I know I don't know, although I sometimes think I do, but I really know I don't know. How many of you really know what is in the heart and intent of another person? The Bible says only God. So, well, yeah, but I know what's happened there. I know what they're doing. I know why he did that. I know why she did that. I'm quick. And when we say that, we're saying that God and I, David, you see, David, God and I are the ones who really know, you see. God has given me the personal privilege of knowing something here. Now, it could be that the Holy Spirit gives you a revelation of the heart of a person's intent. It could be. 
But that's not to judge or to cast down. That's to help and to build up. To judge means to cast through our criticism, you know, another in Christ. To in judge, if we judge one another in Christ, it is to accuse God of wrong since he is the one who has judged us in Christ. Who shall bring a charge against any of God's people? Romans 8.33. Get a little liberal with the translation. Who shall bring a charge against any of God's elect? Who? You see, God has judged his own son. When Jesus went to the cross, this great Shechem, this burden bearer, took upon his own shoulders all, may I repeat that word? All. May I say it one more time? How much, everybody? All of the judgment that we earned. And he condemned it all in the flesh. He paid it all. That means that there is not one ounce of judgment, condemnation, casting down that is left as to my character, my deeds, my thoughts, words, and actions. Not one bit left. And because of that, that also means for you and for me as we relate to one another, and especially husbands and wives, we're too quick to impugn, you know what I mean, assess motives. That means that there is absolutely no godly place. I said godly place for any judgment whatsoever forever to be among us. See, what we're really saying when we judge, I, I think I'm going to get past this first today and get into other things, but it's so, this, this is so fundamental. It's fundamental to me of how I live. And maybe it isn't to many of you, but it's so fundamental to me. Someone does something wrong, Diana. Okay, someone does something wrong. Someone wrongs you. They lied about you. They criticized you. They treated you in a way. Whether they did or not, you think they did. You know, and perceptions, I suppose, everything for me personally. So, Mike, someone does something. Or a husband does something against his wife. And what we often hear is this. Someone has to pay. Have you ever felt that when a wrong is committed against you, someone needs to pay. That's a sense of justice. God places that in our hearts. Someone has to pay. Someone kills someone, the perpetrator has to what? Pay. And when he doesn't pay, we are outraged. Why? Because God has put a sense of justice in us because he is just. But in our fallenness, we twist that. And so we come to another believer, and I'm talking about believers and someone says, does, whatever it is. It could be a heinous something, something terrible. And they block the wall, the impediment. So often is that's in the way of restoration. 
is that how can I be restored to this person when I have been violated and he or she doesn't have to pay the price that I'm paying, that he or she doesn't have to experience the hurt that I'm hurting, that he or she is not deprived in the way that I'm deprived. That's wrong. That's wrong. But God says someone has experienced all of that and more. Ken, someone has experienced it all and so much more at the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart, what, rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight and now I am condemning happy all the day. Why does Jesus speak about this first? I believe that perhaps he is saying to us, and I said perhaps, that this issue of condemnation and criticism is the central issue that blocks the flow, the manifestation, the reality, and the blessings of his love among us. I started by saying it's interesting that Jesus did not say to love one another. This is a wall that encages us against others and others against us, and it has to be torn down. Someone has been punished. Isaiah 53, 6. And the Lord has laid on him the condemnation of us all. I changed it a little bit. The iniquity of us all for which he paid. So the next time I'm hurt, disappointed, whatever, and immediately my natural mind, my flesh wants to say, That's a translation you don't want to hear. (laughs) That's an acceptable way of saying other things. What's the remedy? Father, thank you that Jesus has paid not only this, but so much more in my own life. Therefore, I will not judge God by judging those whom God will not judge. I will not judge God by judging those whom God will not judge because of Christ. But if we do, then Jesus says, with the measure you meet, it will be measured unto you. The way you judge and the criteria by which you, you know, use and evaluate and to cast down the Lord says, that's going to be leveled against you. Now, that isn't to say you could be thrown out of the kingdom of heaven, you're going to hell forever. But what it does say is that we are going to have the same standard applied to us that we have applied to a brother. And we don't want that to happen. We don't want that to happen. 
verses 3 to 5, why do you see the speck? Now, look, look, these are not... These are not unrelated comments. This is a building thing. This is a structure. So he's put a foundation down. He's laid a foundation, and now he's going to start putting up walls on the foundation. So when he says, when you see the speck, what does that have to relate to? Judging. Let's not see this as this sermon and this, you know, this, this uh, illustration and now this illustration. This is a continuity of communication of revelation to us. So when you see the speck in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own. You see the judgment, the condemnation issue, judge not? Or can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a big log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So here Jesus is telling us how to judge. Judge not. Then he says, yeah, do judge. Do evaluate, but not with a judgment evaluation that has the intent of condemning or criticizing or casting down or belittling or making someone pay. I'm going to give him or her the cold shoulder. I'm not going to speak. I'm going to get angry. I'm going to get back. That's judgment. Those are issues of judgment, right? Where did all of it go? To Jesus. So how do we judge? First, we are to first take the log out of our own eye. How? By examining our own hearts for any desire to avenge how do we do that? I can't do it on my own. I must ask the Holy Spirit, Father, would you, by your Spirit, reveal to me what's going on in my own heart? I can't judge my heart. It's desperately wicked. It's being transformed, Romans 12, too, but I still can't judge it. And I'm not to judge my own and cast myself down either. So how do I judge? I first say, the law, Father, examine me first and see if there be any hurtful or wicked way in me. Galatians 6.1 says what? Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, if you see someone sinning or think you do or something has happened and whatever the issue is, you who are spiritual should restore him in the spirit of gentleness. What does it mean to be spiritual? You submit to the Spirit's leading here and asking him to first evaluate my heart. And once my heart has been cleared of any judgmentalism or as much as can happen in the flesh, then he may or may not, he may release me and give me his wisdom and discernment of how to take the speck out of the brother's or sister's eye, how to minister to that other one in relation to that issue or that fault in such a way that that other one can see more clearly. See, Jesus says this in John 7, 24. Do not judge by appearances. Uh-oh. Now, come on. Come on. Come on. 
I have to struggle with this. I struggle with this, judging by appearances. Oh, look at that. <laughs> Why do they do that? Well, you know, I mean, the other day I saw A.J. walking down the street, and I wondered, why is he on that street? You didn't think I saw you, did you? you know? <laughs> what? <lived> oh. <laughs> oh, and then someone would have said, why were you on that street? <laughs> I, was, I was protecting the integrity of the gospel in believers. <laughs> now, we are to do that. But the right way, because to do it the wrong way is to damage the integrity of the gospel in believers. Make sure you're getting both sides of this thing. Appearances. And, and Bill Treby can tell you, he's an elder, and I've, Bill and I have been together. Is it okay to use you this time? In, on the, sta on the uh, leadership team of this church since I came here, and in October of 1978, they placed me on, remember that, on the board with Cliff Jernigan. Of course, Bill had been here way before then. So he and I have had some history together since those days. And actually, when we first started, Bill had dark hair. And when I got on it, his hair quickly went gray. <laughs> and he'll tell you, Peter Davidson struggles with this. Am I right, Bill? Yes. I struggle with this. Anybody else struggle with this? Or am I the only one? I'm not trying to make it easier on me because I'm the only one. Thank you, girl. I'm not going to tell them who raised your hand. Only a couple of them saw you because I don't want them to see my appearances. That, oh, you bad. You bad. I didn't raise my hand. I don't need to raise my hand. I'm not that way. You should have jumped up and yelled and screamed. <laughs> How to make, to do what? Make righteous judgments, he says. What is a righteous judgment? A righteous judgment is a judgment that is made, led by the Holy Spirit, who is the Spirit of God's righteousness. And not only making it the right way against the right, uh, um, what word I want, uh, not law, against the right, uh, help me, Ronald, what am I trying to say here, brother? Oh, sorry to wake you up. Uh, the standard, not making the only against the right standard, but then applying that standard against the appearance within the context of the character of the standard. So often we want to evaluate against a standard that we see in God, but we don't want to apply it with the character of God. And for the purpose of God, Jesus says, make your judgments, but don't make them according to appearances because you don't know anything about what's going on underneath. And even when we see a believer purposefully or unpurposefully, whatever, but we see it obviously a sinning happening here, we are to make a righteous judgment. And what does that righteous judgment look like? Here's what it looks like. Luke 15 Luke 15, a man had a whole bunch of sheep, and one of the sheep was out there somewhere, and the shepherd made a righteous judgment, and he went into the field, into the land where it was dangerous, 
looked for his sheep, found him, and brought him back. A righteous judgment is an older lady looking for a precious coin that she had, maybe all the money she had in the world, and she swept the whole house until she found what? The coin. A righteous judgment is the father patiently, day by day, looking for the return of his ne'er-do-well son. That's a righteous judgment. And when the son began to come home and the father sees the son afar off, it says, he recognizes the son not by the apparel because the son has the filthy pig poop robes on. He's been in the pig house. But the father sees something and he sees, ah, oh, that's my boy because I recognize the way he walks. You know, any dads and moms in here? And when that father recognized, that's my son, the father pulled up the long robes, tied them between his legs, and ran down that hill. And the first thing he did is says, my God, get that junk off you and clean yourself up so I can give you a hug and a kiss. The appearances of this boy not only is bad, he stinks. He's just come out of the pig poop, and he didn't take no shower. He's filthy, dirty, stinky, nasty, grimy. He's been with pigs, and he's a Jew. And the father says, I'm making a righteous judgment. And he falls on his neck, and he what? Kisses him, and he puts on him a robe, his own robe, and he puts the signet ring of his authority on his hand, and he puts his shoes on him. That's righteous judgment. This boy, by the law, should have been strung up and stoned. That's righteous judgment. Far from us that the boy is coming home. And you say, well, the boy is coming home, that's why. The boy came home because he knew he wouldn't be beaten to death. There's something in this father he knows. Even if I have to become a servant, it's better in my father's house. And so the father doesn't say to his servants, here comes that ne'er-do-well boy. Go out and stone him because he's sinned. He's done bad. He's hurt me. He's taken half the money. He's spent it on wine, women, and fun. He's done things I would never do. He's impugned me to the people. They think I'm a whatever because of him. I can, can you believe what he's done? Can you imagine? Is this not the Father's heart? Why? Because someone else has paid the son's price for pig poop living. And after we've examined ourselves and make sure Romans 8.1 applies to every believer. How many of you do really believe that Romans 8.1 applies to every believer? 
Well, I know it applies to me. Hallelujah. There is therefore no now, now no condemnation in Peter Davis. And hallelujah. But you. Oh, but you. <laughs> Ashley. <laughs> I know what you did. And your husband didn't tell me. Uh. No. Romans 8, 1 applies. If I'm going to use this term, I think we can be okay with it, with the worst believer. It even applied to the chief of sinners. Who? Paul the apostle. Hemi, it even applied to the chief of sinners. Warren, it even applies to you. Billy, it applies to you even. There is therefore what? Now. What? No judgment for those who are in Christ Jesus. Once we do that and we submit and God is working that, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now we will be ready to minister to the brother rather than to condemn him. Matthew 18, 15, and your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. You see, in this way, the Spirit cleanses us of any judgmental attitude so we are able to care for a brother who might be caught in some sinful activity by sharing with him what God's Word says about his behavior so that the Holy Spirit will minister the balm of Gilead to him. Verse 6, do not give to the dogs what is holy. Do not throw pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot. But what about those people who do not want to be corrected or ministered to this way? What about those who don't believe? What about those who constantly resist? Jesus says this. Jesus gives us a warning that if the person or persons are not willing to submit to godly examination. Now, we don't mean one time. Oh, one time, Hannah, therefore. Well, how how much do I continue to share? When? How much? How much? How much? How much? How much? Anybody have an answer? Until the Holy Spirit tells you to stop. So Frank may need just one sharing. And that, on the other hand, may not even need a sharing. Mm-hmm. Sword may, her name is Saber, but we call her Sword. Sword may need 22 sharings. Because you see, she's real hard-headed, this girl. Georgina may not only need sharing, you're going to have to say it in Espanol for her to get it. How much do I share? How often? Where is the place where I just stop it, Steve? When the Holy Spirit gives you the sense, no more. Once that happens, and it can be that way, Jeremiah, the, God told Jeremiah three times, do not pray for this people. If Daniel or Samuel, I forget, I've forgotten, the, oh, there it goes, what stood before me, I would not relent. He says, stop. You see, some believers say, oh, no, we do it forever. No, no, no. There's a place where the Holy Spirit may tell you, John, that's enough. That's enough. Rochelle, no more. Because you're throwing the gift of God to the pigs. But on the other hand, look at the flip side. What if I'm the one who's resisting? Suppose 
Suppose. Now listen to me carefully. Suppose. On the first time I resist, the Holy Spirit says to me, now I'm going to have to deal with you in a disciplinary way since you did not say okay. Well, he wouldn't do it the first time. Oh, yes, he might. I think generally he does not, but it doesn't mean he won't. So when we are ministering to one another, even if someone comes to you and says it wrongly, Brenda, why don't you, okay, you know, I have a peculiar personality that none of you know about. <laughs> I have been regularly accused, sometimes rightly so and sometimes wrongly so, of coming across bombastically and too directly to people. I'm not that way, so don't believe it. Man, can't stand it when people say that about me. My wife would tell you that. The other night, we were talking about something. See, when Gene misbehaves, I love this opportunity to tell on her. And here's my personality. I says to Gene, I says, I'm not making a statement. I'm asking a question. Then I asked the question, and she still thought it was a statement. It's just something lovely about the way I do things, Chatelaine. Get it? I looked at you purposefully, girl. <laughs> we have the same affliction. Some people don't get it. And so, well, I'm not taking that because, you know, Peter didn't say it. Though. Listen, the Holy Spirit spoke through a donkey years ago, and he's still speaking through donkeys. Now, I changed the name for the sake of the audience because King James says another word for a donkey. Beginning with an A and having two S's. Here's the danger. Please do not evaluate your acceptance or the credibility of the issue based on the one who communicates it to you in the flesh. Whatever it is communicated and however and by whomever, First, receive it as from God and ask for the Holy Spirit's evaluation and, if necessary, his correction. Then, that's, you see, they're taking the law. Then go to the other person after you have been ministered to and say, you know, thank you so much for what you did. I appreciate so much. But I need to share this with you. It came across to me as if you were and say, oh, no, I wasn't meaning that at all. I understand that or I was meaning that, whatever. Because the communicator, if not done well, needs to also have some adjustment. Isn't this who we all are? So I'm going to stop there today, and next week we'll start with verse 11, how kingdom citizens are to relate to God, how to relate to one another. No more criticism of one another. Look, if that's the case, there are going to be a whole lot of words I can't speak anymore. <laughs> really? And how do you know? You're not criticizing. I mean, how do you know you're content? Because we should be content with what God has given us. We're no longer criticizing. This, all 
is not only because of the resurrection, but it is to declare the resurrection among ourselves and to the world. Amen.